Lord, you are none other than the sovereign, holy, infinite God of all creation. And Lord God, you are the God and Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came in love to die for us on the cross. And Lord, thank you that you rose on the third day. You've given us life and forgiveness of sins and all good things symbolized by these baptisms. Lord God, I pray that every single one of us this morning would sense your presence and respond to you. Lord God, whatever you know us through and through and whatever we need to hear from you, Lord God, I pray that we would. Lord, speak to every single one, we pray. Lord God, we want to thank you for our fellow Christ-honoring churches because we know, Lord God, there's just one church. It's Christ Church. We're all together in this. And Lord, particularly, we're praying for Sojourn Galleria, wonderful church, your wonderful young pastor, Taylor Renz. Lord, would you continue to bless this newer church in every way? Multiply them and protect them. Church, pray with me the Lord's Prayer, please. It's on the screen. Pray with all your hearts. Full voice. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Good to see you guys today. Uh, how's it going with the 40 days, prayer and fasting? Is that going good for you? Good. Good. Uh, I know that People all over Woods Edge are engaged in it. You might be brand new. You might not know about it. But we're eight days into the 40-day time of seeking the Lord. And we're, we're fasting in various ways that God has put on our hearts. And we're praying more. And um, special efforts if you're in town to come to the Wednesday night prayer gatherings together. Last Wednesday was just so rich. Uh, so many of you are, are a lot of you reading the Batterson book or the Symbola book? Jim Symbola's book? Good. That's, uh, here's good things about that. So way to press in. God uses people who pray. God uses churches that pray. So way to go. Uh, what else? Oh, I know. I just wanted to thank you guys for your faithful, generous giving here at your church home. I know you give to God, not to the church, but, but thank you. As your pastor, I'm very grateful. You know, when anyone dies, if they have final words... They have special significance. Those final words have special significance. For example, just imagine a grandparent is dying and, and the family's gathered in the room and the elderly grandfather, everybody knows he's just about to, to go home. Uh, he, he's going to speak and, and you can tell. And, and if, if he begins to speak with a soft whisper, everybody in the room is going to lean in and listen as closely as, can, as they can because these are final words. They have special significance. Today... In our passage, we come to the final words of Jesus. They're not found in the end of the Gospels, but, but the beginning of Acts. And this is what happened. Jesus has gathered his 11 disciples on the top of the Mount of Olives. That's just right next to the Temple Mount in the heart of Jerusalem. So they're up on the top of the Mount of Olives, and he's just about to go home and go back to, to, to heaven. And it has special significance. So... In Israel, in Jerusalem, you, you've got where the temple is, high up on a high part of the city. And then there's the Kidron Valley, pretty significant valley. 
and then going up on the top of the Mount of Olives. I remember one of the first times I was in Jerusalem, Israel, I was standing up somewhere near the Temple Mount, and I, I just was looking out over the Kidron Valley to the Mount of Olives, and it just hit me afresh. This is the exact spot where Jesus went to heaven after his time on earth, and this is the exact spot where he's coming back. And it just, I just felt this deeply moved by that, that place. is very significant. Well, this is the time in the book of Acts where he is leaving. He, he's been, it's been 40 days since his resurrection. So his death, three days later, the resurrection. And now this is day 40. As we've seen, 40 days uh, is a commonly used uh, uh, motif in the scriptures. So this is day 40, and he's just about to leave. And he's got the 11 disciples with him, and they ask him a question that leads to his final couple of sentences. Now, the question that they asked him had been on the minds of all the Jewish people for decades and decades. Ever since the Roman Empire conquered Israel, made it a province, a captured province, in 63 B.C., you know, they're waiting and waiting for the Messiah the Savior King to come to the earth and, you know, establish the kingdom of God and overthrow the Romans. And this is on everybody's mind. And now that we've had the resurrection and Jesus is, they're wondering, is this the time, Lord? Is this the time? And so this big question is on their minds. Now, what they did not understand or did not fully understand was that when Jesus Christ came to the earth, the first coming, he, he did not come to bring in a political kingdom, a kingdom of force and overthrow the Romans and that sort of thing. That wasn't the purpose. He inaugurated a kingdom, but this is a kingdom of God, and this was a kingdom of love, not a force. This is a, a kingdom in our hearts, really. As we uh, receive Christ as Savior, as we bow to him as our king, there's the kingdom. There's the kingdom. You know, we just prayed for the kingdom, didn't we? In the Lord's Prayer, we pray together, Lord, may your kingdom come. May your kingdom come. Now, he brought the kingdom. One day it will come in its fullness, and it will be a literal kingdom uh, at the second coming. First coming, more of a servant. Second coming, as the king. But the kingdom is here. It's in all of our lives if we've trusted Christ. And every time somebody new comes to Christ, or even a believer surrenders more of our life, the kingdom is advancing. And so we pray every week, Lord, may your kingdom come. And ultimately it will be fulfilled when he comes again. So this was on their minds. They didn't understand it completely, but uh, they asked him this question, which leads to his, the final words of Jesus. So if you'll stand with me, I'm going to read this passage. These are the final words of Jesus. It's Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. Imagine this scene. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, 
will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. Church, this is God's holy word. Please be seated. When the disciples asked Jesus this question that was on the minds of every Jew, Lord, is it this the time to restore our kingdom, overthrow the Romans? When, he asked that, when they asked the question, do you notice that Jesus does not really answer them? He doesn't really give them a, either a yes or a no. Rather, he just says to them, that's not your concern. That's not your concern. The Father has set that time. That's his concern. But this is, he goes on, on to say, this is your concern. It's the Spirit of God. He says, but, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, the Holy Spirit is none other than God himself. The Father, we've got that. We can get our hands around that concept. The Father in heaven, he sends the Son. We, we can get that. And then he sends the Spirit. And that's a little bit harder to forget. But the Spirit is as much God as the Father and the Son. One God, three persons. And he's a he. And he comes inside every Christian. That's what the Bible teaches. That at the moment we trust Christ as Savior, the Spirit, get this, God, God himself comes inside. If you're a Christ follower, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, then you've got God inside you, the Spirit. You may not be aware of him. You may not think about him being there, but he's there. And the issue is God wants us to depend upon the power of the Spirit, not our own power. Now, up until this time, the Spirit, all through the Old Testament, various times, would come upon people, special times, special projects, special purposes, uh, temporary thing. But when Jesus was here the night before he was crucified, John 14 through 16 said, I'm about to pour out the Spirit upon you. When I go away, I'm going to send the Spirit and he's going to be your helper. He's going to be your teacher. He's going to uh, just be inside you. And says, the Spirit's about to come. And, and now the time has almost arrived. It's been 40 days. He says, this is your concern, the power of the Spirit and being my witnesses. And he'll send them back. We'll see next week. He'll send them back to pray in Jerusalem. And in 10 days, Acts 2, day of Pentecost, God pours out the Holy Spirit upon them. So this is about to happen. Now, verse 8 gives us the theme verse of the book. And notice he does not tell the disciples. He doesn't command the disciples to uh, receive the Spirit. It's just a fact. It's going to happen. Also, he does not command them to go out and be witnesses. He says, that's, that's going to happen too. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. And for the rest of the book of Acts, we're going to see that happens. And we've seen that the whole theme and the purpose of the book is embodied in this passage here, this verse. In fact, we could say the purpose of Acts is to trace the movement of the gospel throughout the known world. The age of the Spirit has dawned, and the prayer-infused, Spirit-empowered church explodes from a small Jewish band of 120 Jewish believers to a large international, multi-ethnic, largely Gentile a church that has spread across the Roman Empire and even reached Rome, the vast capital of the empire, and it's still spreading today. And you and I live in Acts 29 because the book 
uh, really doesn't end. It just kind of stops. We live in it, and Acts 1-8 embodies this message. The Spirit will come. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Now, not only do we have the theme of the book, but we have an outline, a structure of the book. We don't have this really hardly in any other book of the Bible, but Acts 1-8, Jerusalem, that's chapters 1 through 6, verse 7. It's going to be the spread of the gospel in Jerusalem. And then next, Judea and Samaria. Those are the provinces right there. It's like saying Harris County and Montgomery County, something like that. You know, the regions right there. That's Acts 6, 8 through 9, 31 or 2. 9, 32. And then 9, 33 through the rest of the book gives the, the gospels goes to the end of the earth. End of the earth. And, and so it's just going to move forward throughout the book of Acts. And uh, that last part, that last 20 chapters or so are going to progress to the Gentile world and specifically to Asia Minor, that's the eastern part, western part of Turkey, then into Europe, that's Greece today, then into Rome, and it's still spreading. So that's the structure and outline of the book of Acts right here. Now he says to his disciples, to every one of us, he says, you will be my witnesses. You're going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, and then you're going to be my witnesses. So the Spirit of God is the power source. And all through Acts, we're going to see this. 58 references, I believe it is, to the Holy Spirit in only 28 chapters. And if you're here when we preach the first five verses, twice we already had reference to the Holy Spirit. This is the book of Acts, is the power of the Holy Spirit. And what God is telling us, okay, this is a new day. Um, you're going to live by the power of God inside you. If you try to live without the power of the Spirit, you're going to have an exercise in futility and failure. It's not going to work. And I'd say 95% of the Christian church around the world lives in their own strength and power, and that's why it can be so much frustration out there. What God is calling us to do is to depend upon His Spirit. Okay, you've got a big decision at work. Your attitude is, Lord, I don't have enough wisdom for this. Uh, Spirit, would you guide me? Would you lead me in this? Or you are struggling with sin in your life. I hope you're struggling with sin. I hope you hadn't just given in to it. But you're struggling with some sin in your life, and it's not easy. And, 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 you, and your heart is, Lord, I need you to give me grace and, and, and victory over this matter. You've got some problem and challenge in your life, and, and just endurance. You're getting so frustrated, such a, such a failure. You depend upon the Spirit to guide you and to strengthen you and to get you through this. The Christian life is life in the Spirit, depending upon the Spirit. And so the question is not, if you're a Christ follower, do you have the Spirit? Yes, you do. Here's the question. Does the Spirit have you? Does the Spirit have you? Or are you in control of your life? Are you doing what you want to? Are you following your agenda, your, your preferences, your stuff? Or have you surrendered control? Are you dependent upon the power of the Spirit. That's the Christian life. And you see it not only all through Acts, but all through the rest of the New Testament. The power of the Spirit. Okay. So we're depending on the Spirit for everything in our life, including witness. And he says, this is going to happen. You will receive the power of the Spirit. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. Now, let's, let's think about this witness part. That's the scary part for most of us because most of us just aren't really good at that. And, I, and that's true of me. But, but what is a witness? He doesn't say uh, you will be preachers. He doesn't say you're going to be evangelists. He doesn't say you're going to be skilled theologians. You're just a regular, ordinary Christian. 
but you're going to be a witness pointing people to Jesus. You're just going to deflect attention from yourself or other things to Jesus. You told Jesus, he's the one. He's the one that matters. It might be a matter of you, you telling your story that, you know, this is what Jesus Christ means to me, and, and this is when I trusted Christ. It might mean you telling God's story, you know, just the basics of the story that, you know, God sent his own son, God himself, to the earth, and he died on a cross. And when it, we, he died, God put all of our sins on him, and he paid for them. And we can have life eternal by putting our trust in Jesus. And that's God's story. Our story, or both stories. Uh, God's called us to be a witness. Now, again, he doesn't say, he doesn't command you to be a witness. It's a fact. Maybe the issue is this. Are, are, are you a good witness or a bad witness? You're, you're a witness, but you're a good one or a bad one? You know, I hope that, that people around you uh, can, can see something different about you. And, and by our lives, there, there is witness to Jesus. There's something different about that person. You know, in, in a self-centered world, if there's other-centeredness, if there's true love for people that we care, is there a, a, a lack of pretense and posing and trying to impress people? Um, are, are there some things that God's doing in you that somehow point attention to Jesus? But of course, nobody is so good that people are going to come to Christ just by looking at your life. Ain't that good? So we also need some words. And, and at some point, we, we tell our story or we tell God's story, the essence of the gospel, or we point them to Christ. You can even invite them to a church like this where they will hear the gospel. Uh, you know, 90% of people who are invited to church by a friend will come. 90%, 88%. It's amazing. I mean, you can change an entire eternity. And, and God wants us to be his witnesses and to see ourselves. I'm a witness for Christ. A witness is nobody special. Doesn't have to be a skilled theologian with all the answers. Certainly doesn't have to have their act together because none of us do. But we're a signpost pointing people to Jesus. That's what a witness is. We just point people to Jesus. And you can do that. And I can do that. You know, one of the things about the Christian life is that God is drawing people to himself. I can tell you, when I was 18 years old, I was a senior in high school. This was late, well, it was early 70s, but still in the 60s day. And, and I was searching for meaning and searching for a cause. And God put in my hand uh, to, to heart to, to read the Bible through my senior year, just out of intellectual pride, to say that I'd read the Bible. And, and, and during that time, God was drawing me. I had no idea, but the Spirit of God was at work inside me. That summer, July 4th, I'm at a beach in Galveston. July 4th, it's a busy beach, Stewart Beach down in Galveston. And there was a Christian rock group there, and some people walking around talking about Christ. And I am hoping somebody talked to me because I am so hungry for God. God had been drawing me all year, and I'm just waiting on somebody to come talk to me. And finally, late in the afternoon, Rusty Draper comes over and starts talking with me. He's a witness. And my whole eternity gets changed. And if you know Christ, it might have been just like the first snowflake in winter and you're five years old, or it could have been dramatic uh, later. It happens in all kinds of ways. You may not even know when it happened. But God was drawing you if you came to Christ. But here's the thing. There are people in your world that you know, in your neighborhood, or at your workplace, or people that you work out with at 24-hour fitness, there are people in your world, and right now, 
God is drawing them. God's drawing them. And they are just waiting. Somebody come by and talk to me. And um, God wants to use us. He wants you. We need to be alert and ready. You know what 1 Peter 3, 15 says? It says, always be ready to give an account of the hope that is in you. Be ready. Be ready. Because God's, God's drawing people. And, and they might ask you a question about your faith or something. Uh, or it could be this. What if your neighbor, you see your neighbor out front and you tell something's wrong and they begin telling you about this crisis in their life. Well, friends, whenever somebody that you know, including a lost person, tells you about a crisis, that ought to send bells and whistles off your mind. Here is something to step into. Because God is drawing them. Can I pray for you? People don't mind. People love for you to pray for them, especially in crisis. And just, can I pray for you? And who knows where it leads from that? It might lead to telling your story or inviting them here or something like that. We, just, we need to be alert and ready. And we need to be recognized. What Jesus said in Matthew 9, he said, said the fields are white for harvest. That is, uh, there's ripe people out there. And not everybody. But there's some people uh, around you that are ripe. This morning, uh, very early, because I'm an extreme morning person, I back out of my garage. It's completely dark, pitch black, nobody's around. And I do what I do every morning. Uh, my top five, we, around here we pray for f- at least five people that God puts on our hearts who n- do not yet know the Lord. And we pray for them. Well, I, I got seven couples. I've got the couple here, and I got the couple here, and the couple there. So three on my side, and I've got three right across the street and one down here that God has put on my heart. And every morning I'm praying for them by name as I'm backing out. And, you know, um, for them and for our neighborhood, God is drawing some people around them. Maybe not everyone, but, but some people right. We're witnesses by our lives, by our words, certainly with our prayers, depending on the power of the Spirit because we can't save anybody. But, but we're alert to what God is doing. Now, here's a real big thing in, the, in, the, in this key theme verse. We've seen the power of the Spirit. That's how we live the life. And then we say that we're witnesses. We're pointing people to Jesus. It's one way or the other. And then it says this. In Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now, if you are a Jewish person at that time, that is completely new. Completely new. Ever since Genesis 12, 1 through 3. When God calls Abraham and forms the Jewish people, the people of Israel, it's been all about Israel. The rest of the Old Testament, all through the Gospels, even Jesus, when he was, had the opportunity to help this woman who was a Gentile, he said, no, nope, I've been called to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It's been all about Israel until this point when he says, go to the ends of the earth. And that includes people like us. Now, before, if you were a Gentile, you could come, you could get saved, but you had to come to Israel. You had to become a Jewish person. You were a proselyte. You came to Israel. Now he's saying, y'all go out to the ends of the earth. And we're part of that. We're part of the legacy. You go to the ends of the earth. Now, you should know this. Uh, you may not be called to move to Timbuktu or someplace, but some of Woods Edgers are. We have got people out at various places, uh, some of them fully supported, some to some extent supported by you, by me. We pray, we give. If you're part of this church, an active part of this church, you're part of that. You're part of that. Uh, and, and that's exciting. We do that together. But what's interesting about the last 30, 40 years particularly is not only do we go to the nations, but the nations are coming to us. Y'all know that, don't you? That it's an incredible thing. I mean, there's nothing, never been a day and age like this. There are 300 million expats around the world. 
Now, process that if you would. 300 million. Y'all know, know how big the United States is, don't you? About 350 million, isn't it, last I, I saw? Okay, here is a country that's kind of mobile and transient and out there almost as big as the United States. 300 million people are living in a country where they were not born. And several things about that. One, Acts 17 says that God moves people around so they come to know him. And Houston is the most international of any city in the United States. I mean, little old Houston. I mean, it's not that little. I mean, <laughs> not, not, not New York, not Los Angeles, not Chicago. Houston is the most international city. So that of the 6.8 billion people in the greater Houston area, one out of four is foreign born. Number of us in here. Now, church, this is the most exciting thing in the world. That we got the nations coming to us that we can no way uh, some of these places even get into. And the people who are coming from other places to Houston are more open to the gospel than they were back in their own country. So many of them, we're seeing them come to Christ. Now, look, you're a part of this. You're a part. We've got a full-time person that focuses on refugees and immigrants. And, and we do a, a number of things. And if you give, if you pray, if you serve, you're a part of this. We want to do a lot more, by the way. Do you know that the immigrant church in the United States, the, the people who are coming uh, to Christ, who are foreign-born in the United States, they're the main ones injecting life into the church in the United States because the affluent, so many of the affluent Americans kind of, but, but it's, the, it's the immigrants who are injecting life, virile life into the church of Jesus Christ, and that's a good thing. And when we think about immigration and refugees, look, we are Christ followers. We are kingdom. We are citizens of heaven. We don't think just like any non-Christian thinks. We don't primarily think about, you know, how's this going to affect my pocketbook and, you know, the political stuff of it. We think kingdom of God. Here are some people who are going to be ripe for the gospel. And that's how we look at refugees and immigrants pouring into our country. And this is part of Acts 1-8, going to all the world. Okay. That is the theme verse of the book of Acts. And that gives the whole outline. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit is inside you. Only question is, does the Holy Spirit have you? Are you surrendered and yield? You will be my witnesses. So we're on the alert. We are ready because there's some right people around us. Be on witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And that's what we're going to do. Now, after that, he leaves. Verse 9. More briefly, when he had said these things, as they were looking on, looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that? Okay, you're up the top of Mount Olives. Some of you have been there. Some of you have been there with me. And, and you're watching there. You're talking to Jesus, and all of a sudden, he's enveloped with this cloud, and he starts rising. I mean, you've never seen that. You had not read that in the New Testament yet because it hadn't been written. And I'll say, he's rising. You're just looking on with your eyes getting wide and your jaw hanging open. And, and then, all of a sudden, there are these two guys in white right there, and they're angels, really. And the two angels, in verse 10, while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, do you, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so that tells us that when Jesus comes back, the second coming, it will be physical and visible. Not going to be just spiritual and invisible. It's going to be physical and visible. And other passages say it will be with glory and power. It's going to be something. And that is the kingdom coming in its fullness. 
Now, every time somebody comes to Christ or bows the knee to Christ, the kingdom advances. But one day, one day, the kingdom will come in its fullness. And every Sunday morning, we pray it. Pray for it. Oh, God, may your kingdom come. And in your mind, you think, I want it to advance, Lord. May it advance. But Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And he goes up in this cloud. And remember the cloud in the Old Testament, the presence of God in the wilderness, the 40 years of wilderness. That's the presence of God. And when they finally built a tabernacle and later a temple, the presence of God, that cloud settles on the Ark of the Covenant, representing the presence of God on the planet. The cloud, it was called the Shekinah glory. Probably the same cloud that Jesus goes up, returning to the Father. So church, the final words of Jesus. What is the Spirit saying to you this morning? I hope he's saying to you that, okay, okay, I'm a witness. It's not just for the professionals. I'm a witness. We're all witnesses. We We can point people to Jesus. I hope you're reminded afresh that we live our lives in the power of the Spirit. Last three days, I've been in Guadalajara, Mexico. We, you and me, we have planted a church in Guadalajara, and it's doing thriving. It's doing great. But on Friday, I get there on Thursday, uh, on Friday, no, Thursday afternoon, we're talking in, and we've got a meeting of the leaders the next night, Friday night. And, and during that meeting, it, it just, it was kind of decided that, um, Somebody ought to talk to this church about giving, and it ought to be you, Jeff. So um, apparently, it's part of the culture there that you don't really give because of some abuses in the past and stuff like that. And, and so it's kind of the uh, mother church, the pastor of the mother church, that, that it was uh, it put on me to do that. Okay, so I begin praying about that the next day, and it's the next night I'm going to talk to the leaders about this. And... Um, and I jot down some things, and, I, I, and we go to that meeting. And it's 30, 40 minutes before I get up to talk about it. And we're worshiping, and, and God just sort of puts in my heart, Jeff, you've got some things to say, but you really need to depend upon my spirit. <laughs> and so I, I just kind of close my iPad and put it to the side, and okay, Lord, I just, you want me to share my heart, don't you? And I did. And it was so much better than if I just had read my notes. I, I just shared my heart, and I, and, I, and I sensed the Spirit of God guiding me. Now, friend, I, I know you don't preach like I do, most of you, but everything in our lives, we depend on the power of the Spirit. You've got, you got a big decision now at work? It's not uh, you working hard to figure this thing out. It's, oh, God, I need your help. Spirit guide me. Spirit guide me. The whole Christian life. The whole Christian life. Okay, I hope you see that. The third thing is this witness thing. And that's the thing that most of us struggle with. And that would be true of me. That would be true of your pastor. This morning, okay, I'm backing out of my my driveway garage and I'm praying for these friends. And I just had this sense that, okay, Jeff, you need to raise the bar. You know, light of the passage. And... uh, and then I get here, and, and uh, I'm praying, and then I start my daily Bible reading in the next place, and it's Romans 9, 1 through 3. Now, this is what Romans 9, 1 through 3 says. Verse 1, Paul says, three times, I'm not lying. That's unusual. He says, uh, I, you know, I tell you the truth, I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. Three times he says, I'm not lying. That's kind of different. 
And then the second verse, he says, I have unceasing anguish and pain in my heart over my lost countrymen, the Jews, because they mostly rejected Christ. Uh, what he's saying, I'm not lying about this, guys. I have unceasing. Okay, that means all the time I'm just in anguish and just this burden in me for, for my fellow countrymen who've rejected Christ. And then the third statement, verse 3, he says the most stunning thing he ever says. He says, if it would mean their salvation, I would be willing to spend eternity in hell. That's the bottom line. He says, I, you know, I, I, I myself would become anathema, a curse, if it would mean their salvation. Now, now okay, just think with me about that. He's saying, I would spend eternity in hell if it meant their salvation? You kidding? Would I spend eternity in hell so that my neighbors would come to Christ? So that Houston would come to Christ? I've never touched that. Your pastor has never gotten close to that level of love and compassion for lost people. And, and I imagine that's true of most of you too. But this is the heart of God. Such compassion and brokenness that, that there are people around us who are really going to a hell. And he's saying, if I could just take their place, I would. That is Christ-like love that I have never gotten close to. And I'm just challenged. My socks are just challenged off this morning. If you get my daily devotional that I send out, that, uh, recently I, I told the story of this Jewish atheist comedian. Pendulette. And I don't know much about these guys except I know this story. But Penn and Teller are this comedy magic act. And Penn is Jewish and atheist. And he has made a video of himself telling a story about a Christian witnessing to him. And here's the story. Uh, after one show, probably in Las Vegas or something, this Christian businessman comes up and says, Look, I, I'm not crazy. I'm sane. I'm a businessman. But uh, he begins witnessing to him, and he says to him, I'm kind of proselytizing here, and he gives him a New Testament, New Testament Psalms, and he writes his numbers, he writes about five numbers, and he says the guy was friendly, and he's very complimentary about the show, and he looked me right in the eyes. And you know what he said about it later on the video? He said, I respect that. I respect that. If there is some, he said, I don't believe in heaven and hell, but if you do believe in heaven and hell, and you do not tell Others about that? What's wrong with you? He said, how much do you have to hate somebody if you know somebody and they're headed to hell and you don't even tell them about Christ? And, and I just blown away that this Jewish atheist said, I respect that. And again, I'm just so challenged because I'm so far from that kind of compassion and love. And may God give each one of us that kind of compassion because he's drawing some people around us. In fact, he might be drawing one of you this morning. If you're here in this room and you're not yet a follower of Christ, and maybe you thought this was all about religion or churchianity or something, and now you know, okay, it's about a Savior who dies on a cross to die me. If that's you and you're in the room, the only reason you're in this room is because God is drawing you now. I don't care what he used to get you here, a friend or whatever. But the only reason you would come to a Bible-believing church like this one is because the Spirit of God is drawing you. And He's going to get you. And, and I'd encourage you just get found. Just get found. Uh, because if He's drawing you, 
just like me down at Galveston, I'm going to get found because he's at work. And I just, right now, I just breathe a prayer and say, Jesus, come and save me. Come and save me. And he'll do it because he's drawing me. In love, he's drawing me. Church, stand with me. Lord God, help us to see ourselves the way you see us, blood-bought, much-loved, witnesses of the living Christ, filled and empowered by your Spirit. And may we live that way. Lord, help me care, have compassion and boldness, Lord God, that I don't have now for lost people. Help me. Help us. We bless you in Christ's name.